This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Um, we've got our new cabinet ministers that have now been given their their marching orders, if you will, mandate letters from the Premier laying out what uh, she would like to see each ministry focused on. Uh, Daniel Smith uh, handing out those letters to all of the ministers. And yesterday we got a look at the education minister's letter. Uh, Dimitros Nicolaitis joins us now to give us an idea of what's in there. Uh, Minister, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time once again. Of course, of course. Thanks for having me. Hey, before we get going here, when when I was doing some election prep last time, having a conversation with some of the other reporters about how to pronounce your last name. I've I've spoken to you, I don't know how many times. I've always said Nicolaides. You've never corrected me. Other people say, oh, no, it's Nicolaides. What do you prefer? It, it is technically Nicolaides, okay. but uh, I'm happy to give you a free pass anytime. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, Minister Nicolaides, I will work on that. Um, going through the letter yesterday, uh, a lot of emphasis, of course, on meeting the needs of the province in terms of labor and economy. I think if there was one overall message, that's part of it is, is you know, it states that Alberta is not doing enough to encourage Alberta students to pursue career paths with the most plentiful and lucrative employment opportunities. We know it's a bit of a crisis in our province in terms of meeting the needs of our our workforce. So where do you see us falling short in K-12 education in developing uh, an emerging workforce? Sure. Well, I think that there's more that we can do in our education system to create more exposure opportunities for students so that they can see the diversity of opportunities that are available to them. Uh, and the mandate letter talks specifically about that. It talks specifically at uh, looking to create more apprenticeship opportunities in our K-12 system. It talks about uh, creating more career fairs and uh, providing more information to students about some of those um, really in-demand job opportunities. Because as you mentioned, there, there are so many in-demand job opportunities from, from aviation to telc, healthcare, film, television. So many sectors of our economy are, are booming. And I think it's really important that we... Um, provide more exposure to our students for some of those opportunities and give them some experience, uh, some out-of-classroom experience, some on-the-job training as well. So that's a, one of the the key focuses of the mandate letter indeed. Um, in terms of what we do, how do you how do you do that? I mean, uh, without changing, you know, the focus of education, like, is that done through counseling? Like you say, career fairs, okay, I, I skipped most of those when I was in school, to be honest with you, but how do you sort of encourage kids to be more aware of the other fields that are out there as part of the education system? Sure, well, one of the things that uh, the mandate letter talks about, I'm, I'm excited to, to work towards, is to work with other partners who, uh, who have a track record of doing this type of thing. As an example, uh, one of the partner organizations that we've worked with in the past is called Careers, the Next Generation. And Careers works uh, specifically to help expose, post, uh, excuse me, K to 12 students and high school students in particular uh, to uh, apprenticeship pathways and to trades opportunities. That's, that's the whole reason they exist. They know best how to approach school divisions and schools 
create those opportunities in classrooms. And uh, the mandate letter talks about working specifically with them uh, to help create some more of those those opportunities. Is some of this, uh, of course, you were up until the this uh, switch, you were the Minister of Advanced Education. Um, is there not something that needs to happen there? Because a lot of what you're talking about when you're creating, um, you know, uh, students that are capable of moving into the workforce, that happens after high school by and large. And it's a lot about post-secondary training. Is there, is there something that can be done to sort of bridge that gap? Because, I mean, whenever we talk about this, I'll hear from parents saying, you know what, my kid wanted to be a nurse, has a 92% grade average coming out of grade 12, and is told that's not good enough. So, I mean, the K-12 to is doing what it's supposed to do, and then there's a disconnect with the post-secondary. So do you need to work closely with that ministry? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There there needs to be a lot of close co- cooperation between our two ministries. Uh, during the past four years, uh, when I was Minister of Advanced Education, uh, in the last two years in particular, uh, we had uh, undertaken work to significantly expand the number of spaces that we have at our universities and colleges and some of the most in-demand programs so we can bring some of those um, entry requirements uh, down and, and uh, help make sure that more, more students are finding those opportunities. But uh, and, and in those past four years, as Minister of Advanced said, I worked very closely uh, with uh, the, the previous Minister of Education and uh, imagine we'll continue to do the same to make sure that we're creating the right connections, the right opportunities for students to be able to go into their, their chosen post-secondary pathway, if that's uh, the desired pathway they want to go, that we're creating the right opportunities for them. Um, education, uh, as you step into that portfolio, you know full well that curriculum and curriculum rewrites have pretty much dominated all the headlines around education in Alberta in recent years, and we've seen you know rewrites, and then we've seen school boards refusing to trial the rewrites, and in this mandate letter, it's not not all that specific. I find it kind of vague in terms of it says merely, quote, work with parents, teachers and stakeholders to continue to implement K-12 curriculum. So how do you interpret that? What's your plan when it comes to curriculum in Alberta? Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Sure. Well, my, my plan is to do do uh, precisely what, what the mandate letter says there. And, you know, when I when I read that and when I look at that, uh, to me, that means, uh, you know, talk to our partners, talk to parents, talk to uh, experts uh, and other uh, stakeholder groups uh, to work together to build a curriculum that will help set our kids up for success. And that's precisely my plan. Uh, I've been working first and foremost on, on the social studies uh, curriculum. Of course, we've are already moving forward and implementing K to three math and and other subjects. That's already underway. Uh, the social studies curriculum, uh, we need to uh, put a little bit more effort towards that. 
and get that rolling as soon as possible. So over the next uh, couple of months, uh, over September and October and the subsequent months, my plan is to sit down with the different partner organizations, whether that's uh, the Francophone Associations, the Alberta Teachers Association, uh, Indigenous uh, leaders and groups uh, and other partners to talking uh, about the social studies curriculum, get their advice and guidance about what they'd like to see reflected in the social studies curriculum and uh, build that component as best we can. I think there will always be a, a degree of disagreement over over social studies in particular. There's always different interpretations of history and things of that nature. But I'm very confident that uh, we can work together. And I'm a firm believer if you bring different voices and perspective to the table, you, you always, in whatever it is, deliver a stronger product. So that's that's my hope and intent. So that's the, it sounds like a lot of consultation. What's the timeline then? That's going to take some time, I would think. Yeah, it will, will take some time. Uh, I, I don't have any specific timeline as of yet, uh, but I'd be happy to, uh, to to come back on and let you know those details when they're available. And the reason I don't is because I want to have those first conversations with some of those key partners that I mentioned and get a sense from them as to what kind of timeline would work. Uh, you know, we have some suggestions and ideas, but we want to uh, have a conversation with uh, some of those groups first and get a sense if... Uh, uh, a proposed timeline would work, and then once we have things kind of nailed down, I think we can we can talk a little bit more about specific dates and, and time windows. Fair enough. Um, the letter mentions in two places uh, in particular parental involvement, uh, ways that parents can provide more input into school policy, and promoting parental choice. Um, what do you take this to mean? Where do parents not have input, and where do parents not have enough choice? What do you need to get to work on there? Sure. Well, I think uh, it's it's uh, you know the the vast majority of parents are incredibly passionate about uh, their their kids' education, and more so, especially when it comes to parent councils. A lot of parents are heavily involved in their individual school and their school community, and so that can really help to build a stronger individual school and a stronger school community. Uh, in short, the more passionate people we have around the table. Uh, the, uh, the, the the stronger our educational system will be. And, and parents, of course, are incredibly passionate about their kids' education. They want what's best for their kids. I have two young girls myself, so I, I, I fall in that bucket. And uh, if we can find ways, which I think the mandate letter touches on, which is, you know, explore ways to help involve parents a little bit more, help uh, help support school councils uh, to to encourage them to be further involved, we can create stronger school communities and stronger schools. So I'll, I'll be reaching out to parent organizations and school councils over the next few months to get their thoughts, their advice about if there are any ways in which uh, we can strengthen their involvement and their participation and, and create a, a stronger uh, system for, uh, for all our kids. When it talks about uh, input into school policies, though, what in particular might a student or or a parent council actually get involved in in the policies of of a school? Where does that line get drawn, and where can you see them being influential there? Well, and I think that that's precisely one of the things where our initial conversations can help us get a little bit of a better understanding. Uh, They'll they'll have some insight, of course, I imagine. They'll, They'll have some ideas as to where... Uh, parents may be able to have some greater input into into policy and uh, uh, and, and development. Uh, so I'll be reaching out with them, as I mentioned, uh, to get a, 
better understanding from them as to where they feel that they can contribute most. Um, of course, when we talk about education, we always talk about funding, and the letter does call on you to refer uh, to review PUF funding, program unit funding. That's sort of the building block of education funding. Um, now, there are several groups saying, well, let's start with restoring the funding that the UCP cut three years ago, right there, you know, and, and to some of the more vulnerable students, preschoolers that are, you know, taking language chaining and have special medical issues. So, I mean, is that somewhere you start? Do we restore the funding that was cut by your party three years ago? Well, in, in Budget 23, which of course was just passed this, um, this past spring, just before the, the most recent election, uh, there was some significant new funding in there. Overall, there was a 5% increase in funding to the entire education portfolio, over $820 million to address enrollment growth. Mm-hmm. But more specifically, there was a new grant that was created, and the new grant provides $126 million in funding over three years to help hire 3,000 additional educational support staff, including educational assistants, speech-language pathologists, counselors, psychologists, uh, uh, of course, we've left the, that up to the individual school divisions to uh, to decide best how to allocate that funding. So that that new funding is will be uh, available and rolled out to school divisions over the next three years, specifically to help address classroom complexity and increase, uh, as we mentioned, some of those important support staff and professionals that are needed in the classroom. Um, but indeed, the mandate letter does talk about uh, helping support some of our most vulnerable students. Uh, there's a line in there specifically about working with other ministries to support screening and support for students with autism. And in addition, as you mentioned, working to uh, review uh, uh, the PUF program. And I think that's good practice. I think uh, every government program initiative uh, should uh, be reviewed from time to time to make sure that the program is meeting its intended goals and the dollars that are in the program are going to the recipients that, that need it. And so We'll be, we'll be doing that. We'll be talking with parents and uh, ECS providers to get a good understanding from them if, if, to see if there's any ways in which the program can be further strengthened. Okay, uh, Minister, I appreciate your time. Uh, we kept you longer than we said we would, but uh, thank you so much for being here. And, of course, we'll check in as we go along and, and uh, see where we go with education in Alberta. Thank you, sir.